Elvie and I are always honored to be able to be here at Edgewood Bible Church, and uh, we are honored to be one of your missionaries, and that truly is a blessing. And I know I speak in behalf of all of the missionaries, your prayers, your support, your interest, uh, we don't take that for granted, and we thank the Lord. Today, we are at the weekend where you observe the 241st anniversary of the Declaration of Independence for our country. And um, it's often a holiday when a lot of people are out camping and doing various things. But for us here today, I'd like to direct our attention concerning not only our country, but concerning what do you do when we're in a society and at a time in life and history that has turned away by and large from its, from its moorings and its founding as a godly Christian nation and turning against God in many places. Well, let's think together. God has blessed America and how grateful we are for that. Part of the reason I believe that God has blessed America is because of what this country has stood for the founding, even going clear back to that very beginning of the signers of the Declaration of Independence, two-thirds professed to be believers in Jesus Christ. This is the beginning of our country. Think further with me. Patrick Henry, who has said, it cannot be emphasized too strongly or too often that this great nation was founded not by religionists, but by Christians, not on religions, but on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, one of my ancestors, John Quincy Adams, said, the only book deserving worldwide attention is the Bible. I speak as one who knows. I urge you, search the scriptures, for they are God's word of life. Supreme Court Justice Joseph Story, uh, who served in the Supreme Court from 1811 to 1845, from his book written in 1833, he says, calling this republic a Christian nation is not a mere pretense, but a recognition of an historical, legal, and social truth. The entire Bill of Rights came into being because of the knowledge our forefathers had of the Bible and their belief in it. This was, this was the background. This is the founding of our country. Abraham Lincoln, who said, in regard to this great book, the Bible, I have but to say it is the best gift God has given to man. All that our Savior gave to the world was communicated through this book. In fact, even in 1888, when the Washington Monument was opened, the very top, a plaque was placed there with the words that said, Laos Deo, meaning, praise God. That's 1888. In 1892, the Supreme Court declared with a unanimous vote, the historical record of the United States overwhelmingly demonstrates 
that this is a Christian nation and its very system of government and laws are based on Christian principles. 1892, that's a little over 100 years ago, Scripture tells us, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. But folks, something's happened in America. Are you aware of that? Things have changed. By the 1920s, liberalism in America had spread until many people and churches even adopted such spiritual heresies. Folks, I want you to realize, none of this is true. <laughs> but this was adopted. And this has been accepted by many throughout our country. God is pure benevolence without standards. Every human being has a divine spark within. The Bible doesn't say that. <laughs> Jesus Christ is Savior only in the sense that he's a good teacher and example. Oh my. That is heresy. Christianity differs from other religions merely as being the best religion. The Bible is, note this, the Bible is a human book. Have you ever run into people that have that belief? The Bible is a human book and so its teachings have no authority over ethics or morals. Folks, this is what happened. And we, in our generation have begun to reap the results of a society where the majority of people no longer hold to the word of God, no longer hold to the principles on which our country was founded. In fact, a Gallup report in 2014 stated 21% of church members in America seldom attend church. 62% of the people do not believe the Bible is truly God's word. Could that be true, 62%? 67% of the people live in homes with some kind of addiction. And then notice this last one particularly. 31% of the people in America declare themselves to be anti-Christian. Not just non-Christian. Anti. In my lifetime, when we began in ministry, a pastor, the church, was held in high regard. Not necessarily that everybody believed the truth of the gospel, not necessarily that everybody came, but there was, there was an honoring and a respect. Later in the years of our ministry, that respect had turned simply to toleration, where we were tolerated, but folks, it's gone beyond that in our society today. No longer is it respect or toleration, but rather there's antagonism. In fact, let me just one quote. This man down in Olympia stated, there is no greater danger looming on the horizon of mankind's future than the horde of biblical terrorists determined to reframe the world according to their version of God's will. They are arrogant, 
and unaware that God does not interfere in the affairs of mankind. Wow. But folks, that is not unusual. In fact, Dr. David Jeremiah last year, uh, on July 4th, in a message that was televised throughout our country, stated, America is a nation blessed beyond anything known on the planet. This republic was raised on Judeo-Christian foundations, which have undergirded, undergirded the national structure. Then notice, today we're approaching the tipping point. As atheists, hedonists, non-pagans, and liberals wage a war against Christianity and God. Folks, that's where we are in our society today. So what do we do? Throw up our hands and quit? Absolutely not. I am not ready, and I trust you are not ready to give up on America. But I do believe we live in a mission field today, friends. In fact, Scripture makes it very clear. And if we forget everything else, would, would this verse just impact your heart and soul today? Now, when these things begin to happen, what? Give up? Not at all. Look up and lift up your heads because your redemption draws near. Praise God. Folks, if you know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, when you see things as we see here in our society today, what do you do? You say, Lord, by your grace, help me to live for your glory. And Lord, until you call me home, I want to do all I can to reach people and impact our society for the gospel of Jesus Christ. So today, I'd like for us to think together of the fact that Christ is coming. And we're challenged in Scripture to be ready. This is seen throughout Scripture. Just one more reference here from 2 Timothy that talks about the last days. And I'll let you decide, are we living in this, which could be termed the last days? But know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. Now, I believe that describes our society today. Now, I'm not here to discourage us. <laughs> I am here to encourage us, folks. In Jesus Christ, there is great hope. Peter said, Know that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own desires and saying, where's the promise of his coming? For since our ancestors died, all things continue as they were from the beginning. And to this, Peter gives the answer, the Lord is not slow concerning his promise, as some count slowness, but is long-suffering toward us, 
not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Praise God. Praise God. So we see the Psalms predicted the coming of the Lord. Isaiah published his coming. Daniel, Daniel so much prophesied his coming. But the Lord Jesus himself declared and he preached that he would come again. Peter, James, John, Paul, Jude proclaimed the Lord is coming. The book of Revelation has a focus on when he comes and what things will take place. So today, here's where we're going. Be ready by knowing him. Be ready. Be ready by living for him. And be ready by serving him. Now, if you want to write something down, this might be what you'd write down because we're going to focus on these three things. Could we bow for a moment of prayer? Father, I acknowledge we're in a society today that by and large has forgotten you, does not acknowledge you. But Lord, thank you that you are still at work in our world. Thank you that the gospel of Christ is still the power of God to salvation. As we've sung this morning, thank you that there is power in the blood of Christ to cleanse from sin and to deliver us and make us ready for eternity. So Lord, as we think today of the coming, it could be that we will never leave this auditorium if you were to come, even today. But Lord, as long as you give us, help us to declare your truth. Help us to be ready. Ready. Because you are coming. So Holy Spirit, use your word and teach us, I pray for Jesus' sake. Amen. If you have your Bibles... Would you turn, please, to Matthew 25? Matthew 25, and thinking of verses 10 through 13. Matthew 25, 10 through 13. Here we read about the bridegroom coming and those who were ready and some who were not. And I pick up then here at verse 10. While they went, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. Afterwards, the others came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. Just a couple of things I would note here. First, it's clear in this portion of Scripture, the Son of Man is coming. He is coming. We don't know the day or hour, but he is coming. 
Notice, if you will, also those who were ready went in with him, and the door was shut. And afterwards, others came saying, Lord, open to us. What's the challenge to us? Well, I think one thing, to be ready. <laughs> to be ready by knowing him. Verse 12, the Lord says, I don't know you. The challenge then is to watch. To watch. Because the Son of Man is coming. Watch meaning is prepared, alert. He is coming. Be ready. I would underscore this again. He is coming. Be ready. Be ready. We don't know the day or hour, but therefore be awake, be alert. Don't be caught unprepared. Could I ask for us here today, are you ready if our Lord were to come today? Are you ready? Do you know him? Oh, I trust you do. In fact, could I just do something here that may seem a little strange, but something that we've often done with the children, with the boys and girls. In fact, we've done this with your boys and girls at the missions conference of focusing on what we've called the gospel hand. And I realize the boys and girls have gone and they're in the children's church. So uh, can we just imagine we're kids? You don't have to do this, but if you would and want to, uh, this is a left hand, so would you just kind of take your left hand sort of like this and look at it? Here is what the gospel is all about. First, the gospel declares God loves me. God loves me. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God loves me. The second thing to note is, I have sinned. Elvie and I were down in Fort Bragg, California in ministry there, and a lady came to us and said, Mr. Sprague, my two girls have never sinned. Well, these girls were 9 and 12 years old. Any of you that know me well enough would know I usually think of something to say. In that particular situation, I stood there with my mouth open. I could not think of, oh, my two girls have never sinned. Oh, folks, let me tell you, we do not have to teach our children to disobey. The Bible tells us all have sinned and come short, fallen short of the gospel, uh, of the glory of God. And that's why the gospel declares not only that God loves me, but I have sinned. Oh, but here's the good part. Jesus died for me. Aren't you glad? Jesus died. He paid the price. He took my debt. He took my sin. And because of his death, if I believe, the Bible says... My sins are forgiven. They're buried in the depths of the deepest sea. 
And somebody said, and no fishing either. They're buried. The guilt is taken away. We're saved. And that's the gospel. And here with the hand, you can be reminded of what our Lord has done. I don't know. It's possible someone here today, maybe you've never opened your heart to Christ as Lord and Savior. If Jesus were to call today or your life would be taken, you, you're not ready. If that's the case, would you just take a look at that hand and say, thank you, oh God, that you love me and I do know that I've sinned, but thank you that Jesus died and I believe I trust him as my Lord and Savior. Be ready by knowing him. There's another thing in scripture, and if you have your Bibles, turn with me to this portion found in 1 John 2, 28, and on over to chapter 3. And here we read, and now little children, that's a term of endearment, it's not an age thing, but rather, uh, my dear children, my own. It's like a lady one time came to me and said, do you think my boy is, my little boy is too old, uh, too young to, to tell him about Jesus? And I thought she was talking about a, his, her little boy was 31 years old. <laughs> well, no, this is that term, my little children. Abide in him that when he appears, you see, he is coming. When he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. Again, the commonality as we see throughout scripture, he is coming. It's everywhere throughout the word of God. He is coming. Here we see when he appears, will not be ashamed, will have confidence. How do you do it? Well, here's the answer. Abide in him. For the believer in Christ, our challenge is to abide in the Lord. Whatever the circumstances, whatever the society, whatever the persecution, whatever takes place, to abide in Christ. This word in the Greek it's translated sometimes continue, continue. Sometimes it's the word dwell, like a person abides in a home. They dwell there. It's also at times translated obey. Now, if you put all that together, continue in, dwell in, obey him. That's the challenge. Little children, abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. How would we be ashamed? By not abiding. <laughs> By not obeying. By not following him. I look back when I was a young boy my parents one day said, Roy, we're going to the store 
And when we get home, we're going to buy some ice cream. And when we get home, we'll have some of the cookies that are here on the counter and ice cream. Now, as I look back from my vantage point now, why a nine-year-old boy was left alone with a counter filled with cookies. I can't explain that. That wasn't the smartest thing on part of my parents, but folks, I'm not putting them down. <laughs> but they left. They went to the store. It seemed to me they were gone for an eternity. The longer they were gone, the closer I got to the cookies. And the better the cookies looked. And finally, you know, I, I don't have to tell you the rest of the story, do I? Finally, I had a cookie. It was in. It was on its way down. I had a second one in my hand, and the door opened, and there was my mother and dad. My point is, I was caught with the cookie in hand that I'd been told, don't touch them. And in the sense of this portion of Scripture... I was ashamed. I had disobeyed. I'd not done what I'd been asked. Now, thankfully, they forgave me, and the cookies, again, tasted okay. But <laughs> have you ever noticed, are you aware how they catch monkeys? And I don't want to make a comparison here, but I'm told that monkeys are like sometimes... You know, we monkey around, don't we? But we use that term. But, but the point is, I'm told that if you want to catch a monkey, you put a banana, you put something in a gourd or in a jar, and the monkey will grab a hold of that and hang on, and you catch him. Now, I've never done this, but I've been told this by people that have. And all the monkey would have to do is let go. And you know, I think this is exactly what Scripture is saying to us as believers. Don't hang on to the world. Don't hang on to those things that are not really worth hanging on to. But so often we do, don't we? <laughs> oh, folks, Scripture says, abide in him. So that when he comes, we're not ashamed. It goes on to say in this portion of scripture, Beloved, now are we the sons of God, children of God, and it does not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. Isn't that good to know? For we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. He's going to come. He will appear. And folks, when he comes, our part is to be ready. And if we know that he's coming, and we know that we'll be like him, if we have that hope, what is it we do? Purify, cleanse, make certain that we're ready by living for him. The verse in Titus goes on to express this. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age, 
The Lord is coming. So as we look for that blessed hope, what? To deny ungodliness, to turn our back on, to have nothing to do with it, to don't, <laughs> don't keep our hand clenched in the cookie jar, but to abide in him. The challenge is, he's coming. Be ready. Be ready by living for him. And then one last thing. If you have your Bibles, look just briefly to Luke chapter 19 and verses 12 and 13. Again, the common theme, Jesus is coming. He is coming. And here we see in a parable that our Lord Jesus told where the scripture says, he said, therefore, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. The indication is, commentaries state, the nobleman is a reference to our Lord himself. And he called his ten servants and delivered them ten pounds and said unto them, Occupy till I come. The rest of that text goes on to describe how they did not obey him. They did not surrender and yield and submit to him, but rather they fought against him. But what I want us to see here this morning is only just that one phrase, he is coming, and the word occupy, occupy. That's a farmer's word. It's a word that means to engage in planned, productive endeavor. It means not just to fill a space. A farmer doesn't just fill a space on the farm. He occupies the farm, and his intent is to do everything possible to get the greatest amount of harvest. Some translations put it this way, do business till I come. But it's that sense of like a farmer planting the seed, getting rid of the weeds, fertilizing everything that's necessary to have the best, the greatest harvest. That's God's call to us, to serve him, to do all that we can, to buy up every opportunity to take advantage of every occasion because he is coming. Occupy. So the challenge this morning, be ready by knowing him, by living for him, by serving him. Do you know the Savior? Are you abiding in him? Are you serving him? And I've come to the realization I'm not able to do everything that I once was able to do. The, these bodies tend to wear out. Have you noticed that? Oh, but listen, I want to do all that I can. I want to buy up every occasion, opportunity that comes. And I think as James tells us in chapter 5, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord 
See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rain. You also be patient. There's the challenge to me, to us. Be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. To be patient, I struggle with that. I want to see everything happen today. In fact, folks, so far as the sharing of the gospel, it would be my prayer that everybody in this entire auditorium makes certain today that you know the Savior. But the Lord says to be patient, to do his will, to abide in him. And establish your hearts. That's an interesting expression. Often it's translated to strengthen your heart. In fact, at times it's even been translated, set yourself in a fixed direction. Aim carefully, pointedly, in the right direction for the glory of the Lord. I'd like to do something this morning that I realize would take you into my confidence here, but I'd like to suggest a commitment. And I'd like to ask us to read this together. And I realize you don't know all that's here, but I would trust that as a believer in Christ, that you know that you know him, you know that you want to live for him, and it is your desire to serve him, that this would be your commitment. May we do that? If it's your desire, let's read this together. As we look to the future, we anticipate the return of the Lord Jesus Christ for the church at any time. While we are waiting and watching for him, we will continue to do the will of our Heavenly Father. We will submit to Jesus Christ, the head of the church. We will live in the power of the Holy Spirit. We will boldly declare the word of God. We will proclaim the gospel of Christ across the street and around the world. In every way, we will seek to bring honor and glory to God. I trust that is from your heart. Lord, you know our hearts. Help us to honor you. Help us, Lord, to abide in you. Help us, Lord, to make certain that we're ready. Help us to live for you and serve you with all of our heart, all of our energy. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.